Well, good morning, everybody. Joining us here at the broadcast location and there in Nacogdoches, Iglesia, Timber Creek, everybody online, Duncan and Dieball. I have so much enjoyed this series, Grace and Truth Over Trending. Uh, it's been a challenge even for me and all of us because just because you're a Christ follower doesn't mean that you don't deal with some doubts. It doesn't mean that you don't ever deal with a struggle with, man, what do I believe and why do I believe? And every once in a while, we need a reminder the same way I'm sure that Mrs. Noah needed a reminder from Mr. Noah when Noah had heard from God rain was coming to, he had to build an ark that when he'd lay down at night every once in a while, I'm sure Mrs. Noah had to say, can you just, just kind of remind me what God's voice sounded like? And this series has been reminding us why we can stand on the promises of God's word, how to stand true in a culture of compromise, how to have one foot on grace firmly while also having the other foot inextricably linked and solidly placed on truth, grace and truth. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. Grace and truth combined is medicine for your soul. And as we jump in today, we have been talking about how we deal, how we navigate with all these ideas right now that are trending in our culture and what will be our approach, how do we address our doubts, and what ground will we stand upon. And these issues have been way more than just like issues to be solved. It's more than debates to be won. All of these things are surrounded by people that need to be loved. People that truly need to be loved. So in this series, we've talked about everything from suffering to the credibility and the reliability of the Bible. A couple of weeks ago, we unpacked sexuality. Last week, my friend Scott uh, talked about the, the lies of the enemy and how to receive the truth of God's word. What a powerful message that was. Today, we're going to be talking about the reality of hell. And here's what's trending when it comes to the idea of, of hell. The thought is, you know, isn't hell just a made-up mechanism of the early church to keep control over people? Well, just pause right there. The truth is, if the early church really wanted to create mechanisms to get control over people, they would have used way more than just a simple fear mechanism about the afterlife. They would have tucked away all kinds of other works-based responsibilities in order to keep control, not just fear about what might be on the other side of eternity. Just say it that way. But also, regardless though, how could a loving God, even if hell is real, how could a loving God be okay with people going to hell. A God that's all love, a God that is kind, a God that is merciful would allow people to suffer for eternity, punishment for eternity, infinite punishment for a finite life. How do we deal with that? And so when it comes to the doctrine of hell, truth is, it is difficult to defend sometimes. It can be difficult to defend and know why we believe in hell when we also believe in an incredibly loving God. It can be burdensome to believe in hell. Burdensome because if hell exists, 
It means that me personally, I have friends and loved ones that have died, that if hell is real, then most likely they are spending eternity in hell because they never invited Jesus to be the Lord of their life and follow him. That's burdensome to believe. Uh, hell is unable to completely understand. Some people have said and asked, you know, hey, uh, is hell really like the fire and the smoke and the brimstone and the, the worms and, and, and just agony? And I mean, is it really like fire for forever? Or is that just like God talking metaphorically? It's unable to completely understand until we're on the other side of eternity and where God reveals everything to us. But I hope to answer a little bit of that today. Regardless of whether it's difficult to defend or burdensome to believe or unable to completely understand, the truth is it is impossible to ignore. It is not a peripheral issue in the New Testament. It is right front center, uh, center stage in the New Testament, and it's central to even Jesus' teachings himself. Hell is not a Old Testament uh, God situation as much as it is actually brought to the forefront in the New Testament. And we have to grapple with it. it it's, it's impossible to ignore the reality of hell, even in a New Testament that shows Jesus and grace and love. C.S. Lewis, the famous author, uh, he wrote it like this. There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than hell. Me too. If it lay in my power. But it has the full support of scripture and especially it has the support of our Lord's own words. So we can't just ignore it. We can't just push it to the side. And the Lord's own words all throughout Scripture, we see this unfold. Let me show you some. In Psalm chapter 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right Rejoicing the heart when you follow the Lord and his commands and his statutes, like it makes your heart right. It makes a simple person wise. It's good to follow God. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We're able to see clearly what we're supposed to be doing. And he goes on to say, moreover, by them, those laws and statutes. And later, Jesus, by following Jesus, he's the fulfillment of all those laws and statutes. By them and by him, your servant is is warned these words of God warn us I'm so glad that many of us are saved but saved from what there's a warning in the reality of following God and here he shows us right here in Deuteronomy 11 see I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse the blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and the curse if you disobey. See, I said before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands. It's not a suggestion. It's the great commandment. 
the greatest commandment, to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. By the word and by Jesus, the embodiment, the word becoming flesh, we are warned. Good news is that moreover, in keeping them, there is great reward. So is there a warning? Yes. Is there a reward? Yes. The reward is the love of Jesus. Look in Jeremiah. I have loved you, God says, with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. He's consistent and unfailing in his kindness. Jesus says in John 14, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Pause. By the way, so many people are trying to work to earn their salvation. You're a POW. You're a POW. I don't mean a prisoner of war. You're a, a prisoner of works. You're trying to work your salvation it's not about what you could do. If it was what about you would do, it, it, you would be the one preparing a place for you in heaven. But it's he, Jesus, that prepares a place for you in heaven. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. There are two eternal realities, heaven and hell. And the key question that we need to wrestle with a little bit today as we put, again, one foot on grace and one foot on truth and have medicine to not only our soul but the soul of the culture around us. The question is, will I embrace a God? who isn't always easy to understand and whose ways are far beyond mine, whose thoughts are much higher than mine. Can you embrace him? Can you trust him all the way down? Or do you have to know everything? Because let me say something to you. If you have to know the answer to everything, that makes knowledge your God, not God your God. It makes your ability to understand your God. So in essence, you and your understanding become God versus a God that is so much infinitely wise than we are. So much more pure in every emotion and drive than you could ever be because you're imperfect. Can we embrace a God that sometimes... If you are in charge, you may do it differently. But you've got to lean not on your own understanding and yield to him and he will make your path straight. But in order to drill a little bit deeper today into the reality of hell, we've got to talk about some common objections. Some common objections to the doctrine of hell. This is the, uh, these aren't uh, super trending. These have been the problem e e even since the garden. Like these are issues with the idea of judgment and wrath and a God who's supposed to, a loving God, yet he's an angry God. How, how, do, we, how do we balance that? Well, that's what my goal is today, is that not only would we begin to see the truth through his word, but that the word would stir our hearts and that the doctrine of hell would not scare the hell out of us, <laughs> but would draw us into understanding just how great of a cost Jesus paid for you. 
to see how big of a God he truly is. That you wouldn't be scared of what you might get, but you would be looking forward to an eternity surrendered to him and living with Jesus forever and ever. Here's some common objections. Number one, you know, hell stirs up emotions that go way beyond doubt. You can write that down in your your notes. Uh, This this is what creates the common objection because hell isn't just like, "Hmm, I I doubt hell exists. No, 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 no. Hell stirs a deep fear and even like a repulsion. Like, ugh, we couldn't imagine that kind of place and that kind of punishment and that kind of, uh, 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 of warning and, 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 and sentencing and judgment. Um, but I want to give you the truth today. Being repulsed by hell is not enough to prove it doesn't or shouldn't exist. Just because we're repulsed by something, just because we don't like something, doesn't mean it shouldn't exist or that it doesn't exist. When something doesn't feel good, it still may be the right thing. As a leader, unfortunately, it is not a feel-good moment when you have to fire somebody. It may not be a feel-good moment, but sometimes it's the right thing. It may not be a feel-good moment to discipline your children or to ground them or to punish them in the way that works for you and your house and is appropriate for that child. It may not feel good, but it's still good. It's still the right thing. Furthermore, uh, when something feels good, it still may be the wrong thing. So it may feel better to erase hell from your doctrine. It may feel better. It doesn't make it better. It doesn't make it the right thing. We've got to understand that just because something feels right don't mean it's right. As the old uh, singer said, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. He's talking about loving a married woman. Can I just say something to you? That's wrong. Like, it's wrong, even though it feels so right. Like, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the creator of adultery.com was talking about everybody has urges, everybody has needs, everybody all had to have an affair every once in a while. Not a big deal. It just, it is our drive. Everybody's going to do it anyway. Why not make it easier and more simplistic? Just because something might feel right in the moment does not make it right. And hell, even though it may feel wrong, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist or it shouldn't exist. Number two, we think God isn't just. It's not fair and it's not just if he allows hell to exist or anyone is actually there. If hell exists for more than the devil and the angels, and if people actually with souls who deny Christ, even growing up in the middle of, a, of an African village, never being exposed to the name Jesus, and they die and they go to hell, that isn't just. That doesn't seem right if he allows hell to exist or anyone is there, that can be tough, that can be hard. We are hardwired to cry out for justice and cry out against injustice. It is in your DNA and mine. When something isn't right, we can 
feel it. When something wasn't true, what, like we kind of, we know that. There is this image of God that we've been created in. And you and I, listen, we know when something's not right, we say, that's not right. And yet we don't want to give the same responsibility to the God of the universe who created us. We, we, we want to strip him from the right to choose what is just and give that to us as the almighty judge? Let me ask you a question. If there was a judge uh, in our state and he let every single, I mean, deeply violating criminal go free, deeply violating the law, clear law, we're talking about murderers and rapists, and it's clear that they did it, and he lets everybody go free. You would say that judge ought to not be a judge because you would want justice. But yet, we place that expectation on God when it comes to our eternity. We want to be able to live however we want to live, do whatever we want to do, and we expect God not to put the gavel down and judge us accordingly to his word. It's a double standard. We easily accept justice if someone murders or rapes. That, they, do, they did the crime, they do the time. We, we cry out when someone gets off of a, 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 of a sentencing because of a legal loophole. I mean, if the glove don't fit, you gotta acquit. And yet, People on uh, people like go crazy whether it's right or wrong. We we celebrate things. We 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 pound things if there's a legal loophole that is used. We we will we will picket corrupt businesses for poor business practices. We will throw paint on models because they're wearing coats made of animal fur. We cry out for justice, but when it comes to God, we say. He's not just if he, if he chooses to judge us. So the truth is, if God is truly just, then there is a hell. Does it make it uncomfortable for us? Yes. But God not, is not inviting us to a comfortable life. He's actually inviting us to a trustful surrender that he knows more than we know. I mentioned earlier, um, someone like, you know, we, we, we have a, an understanding, uh, understanding of doctrine of like the age of accountability, that if a child were to die young without inviting Jesus or understanding the importance of following Jesus, there's this idea of the age of accountability where we believe that God has protected them and that they're in heaven. And so we have that age of accountability with children. What about those that are out in the world in a different religion or um, if they've never even heard the name of Jesus? And all the Bible is clear in Romans, the Apostle Paul says, uh, God has shown himself through creation and through nature that all men are without excuse. Does that make it easier to think about someone who's never even heard the name of Jesus possibly going to hell? It gives us a responsibility to share the news of Jesus. It also gives us the freedom to also say, and hear me on this. 
I don't know how God is going to be able to work all that out. I don't know how God could judge someone who's never heard the name of Jesus. But here's what I do know. God is perfect in his judgments. God knows the perfect thing to do in every difficult situation. And sometimes what can happen is we get stuck on the I don't knows. And so we want to know, and inadvertently, us desiring to know and getting an answer to a question, that becomes our God. That becomes our final authority, knowledge. Versus simply saying, I don't know, but I do know Jesus is perfect and he knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly the kind of sentencing. He knows exactly the kind of reward. And we're going to leave eternity in his hands. He speaks clearly about it. But ultimately, we leave those decisions with a good and holy God. God is truly just. And therefore, hell does exist. Number three. A God of wrath and anger and judgment can't really be a God of love. How can you have all of those things and yet say you're a God of, of love? Because what kind of loving God would allow his creation complete separation and punishment for just not believing in him? How, how could he allow that? Well, first of all, let me clear something up. Number one, anger is not the opposite of love. Just because God might be an angry God and a wrathful God and a judging God, that's not the opposite of love. Here's what the opposite of love is. Hate is the opposite of love. And God's anger, anger, here's the deal. God's anger, write it down, is not a cranky explosion of an old God who used to be young in his prime and used to be quick on his feet. Now he's just kind of gotten crotchety and grumpy and easily frustrated. Turn down the music. You know, why are those kids running around? Just bothering me. Zap, 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 zap. No, he's not like cranky grandpa God. He's not a cranky, exploding, foolish person. Here's what God's angry about. And you need to know this today. God's anger is his deep opposition to the cancerous sin that eats away at the inside of people he loves. Sin is the authority I reject. And that authority rejection in my life is like a cancer inside me that eats away at my life from the inside out. And he's angry at that sin. And he has to judge that sin. He's also given us a solution and a remedy for that sin. And it's not you and your hands. It's the hands that stretched out on Calvary and took your sin on the cross. You can look at it this way. Hell is like infinite soul disintegration. As we've mentioned, a common theme when talking about hell in the New Testament is uh, fire. And if fire does anything, fire disintegrates. Something exposed to fire long enough, it will cause disintegration. And hell is like eternal, infinite self-disintegration. Now we see this before hell when people are going through hell on earth. 
You've known someone like this. Someone who has an addiction. A life-crippling, nauseating addiction. You see before your very eyes, their life is being disintegrated. It's just disintegrating in front of you. I want you to think about it this way. Let's say that you are just angry all the time. And the older you get, the angrier you are. And the older you get, the angrier you are. Imagine being angry, angry, angry at 23 and never, never remedying that through the kindness and fruit of the Spirit of Jesus. And by 83, you are one of the most angriest, hard. That anger will, will disintegrate you. Bitterness will rot your bones. But imagine, imagine your will for eternity. When you not, are not only 83, but you die without God and you continue to be alone without the presence of God, without the, the, the wooing of the Holy Spirit, and you just stay angry and your soul stays bitter, what would that soul be like a thousand years, 3,000 years, 5,000 years in eternity, that anger that, that, that makes you bitter from 23 to 83, it, it is a petrification of your soul and that's what hell is it's just it's just eternal soul disintegration nauseating self-centeredness you can't even see beyond it because you've chosen to only be focused on self and there's no outside spirit of God wooing you beyond your own godness your own self-centeredness there's a story about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus that he goes to hell and, 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 and Lazarus, um, he goes to heaven. And in this image, Jesus shows us that you can actually see across an abyss, you see Lazarus enjoying heaven, paradise, and, and, and the rich man, we don't know his name, he is in torment in hell. Here's the crazy thing. He asks Lazarus, Lazarus, you, 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 you know, will you come and, and dip, um, dip your fingers in some water and drip that water on my tongue? And Moses says, no, you, you've already had your, your chance. Look, look at the rich man who would avoid the poor man Lazarus, never gave him the time of day on earth. He's still expecting to be served. That is soul disintegration. Ultimate pride, no humility Here's what's crazy about the rich man that's in hell. He asks, can you give me, a, can me, can you give me a, a sip of water? He still wants the poor man to serve him. He doesn't say, hey, can you get me out of here? <laughs> like, he doesn't even realize it. He doesn't even realize, I, I need to get out of here. He said, will you, will you at least go tell my family? At least tell my family? What, what's happening? He's disintegrating in hell. Number four. Why can't we just... I mean, isn't it okay? Does, maybe God would understand. Why can't we just ignore hell and focus on Jesus? And a lot of people do this. They say, I don't, know, I don't know how I feel about that God of wrath and judgment in the Old Testament and all the wars and the rumors of wars and the, uh, the, 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 the killing and the commandments. And I, I'm, not, I'm not for the God of the Old Testament. I'm cool with Jesus. I like Jesus, but I just don't know about God. And I don't know about hell and all this judgment write it down if you want to get rid of hell you've got to get rid of jesus 
If you want to get rid of hell, you've got to get rid of Jesus. Why? We don't get a clear, refined doctrine of hell in the Bible until we see Jesus. Hell is more refined in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. It's mentioned, but it's vague. It is in the New Testament scriptures when Jesus comes full of grace and truth and love and kindness, but also he preaches very, very clearly on the wrath of God. There is no purpose to the horrific cross if there is not horrific judgment. If everything is just daisies and buttercups and love and kindness, Jesus didn't have to come to the cross. God sent his only son to give the ultimate sacrifice because there is an ultimate punishment. 13% of Jesus' teachings are on hell. One out of every 10, he's talking about hell. Half of Jesus' parables are about hell, judgment, punishment, and the wrath of God. Here's just three. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Some will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This ain't no party, everybody. Hey, I'll see you in hell. Hey, save a seat. Uh, we'll drink a beer in hell together. It ain't no party. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, Jesus says. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched? Here's the question. Write it down. Our sin must be so much more serious than we truly could ever understand. If it required the most loving person who ever lived, whose name is Jesus, to speak in the most serious of terms. Let me say it again. Our sin must be so much more serious than we truly understand if it requires the most loving person who ever lived to speak in the most serious of terms. Jesus loves you. He's crazy about you. He's not, he, he's not mad at you. He doesn't have his arms crossed, leaning over the wall of heaven, waiting, waiting to pop the belt out of his holy belt loops and slap you across the face with his, with his proverbial belt. He loves you. But hell is real, everybody. It's a reality that we have to grapple with. And the wages of sin, the stuff that separates me from God, the wages of sin is death. Eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Not through what you could do. Not by understanding hell better. Not by just being scared of hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. So, what do we think God should do? Like when we really come down to the objections. When it comes down to our culture and the wrestling and the grappling with hell. If we had our way, if we could change the word of God, which we love to try to do, if we could change the word of God, um, if, we could, if we could do it our own, okay, how 
do we think God should act? What do we think God should do? I put some questions in your, in your worship guide there. Let's ask these questions. Question number one, are we asking God to just leave people alone? Like, let people live the way they want to live, God. Like, why be so judgy, God? Why be, why be angry, God? Can't we just, can't you just leave us alone and let us live our life? Another question, are we asking God to let us choose? Can't can we just ask God to let us choose for ourselves how we want to live? Like, God, you're so strict. Can't we just choose how we want to live? Won't you just leave us alone? And here's the answer. Here's the answer. That's what hell is, everybody. Get beyond the fire and get beyond the brimstone. Because honestly, being without God and his light and his love and his kindness and his tenderness and his wooing. That's hell. This is what hell is. God leaving us alone to live our way forever. Just leave me alone, God. Let me live my own life. And he says, okay. Okay. quoted C.S. Lewis earlier, C.S. Lewis in another work of art in his writing, wrote it like this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. There are those who will say to God, God, thy will be done. The same way Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling with the reality that was coming, the suffering that was coming, the punishment that was his to drink for you and for me, Jesus says to God, thy will be done. In the end, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. If you don't want to live for me here, I won't make you live with me for eternity. Let's ask a couple more questions. Are we asking God, though, like, here, wouldn't this be reasonable? Don't you think this would be a reasonable request? Couldn't we just ask God to wipe out the past sins of the damned at all costs? Instead of having a hell, couldn't you just kind of rearrange some stuff and wipe out all the sins of the damned and whatever it takes, whatever it would cost, wouldn't you just be willing to do that? Is that what we're asking God to do? That's, is that reasonable to ask God? Are, are we asking God to give everyone a fresh start? Come on, God, give us a fresh start here. Could it be that we're asking God to give everyone a fresh start. Could we, could we ask God to offer every person on the planet miraculous help? Wouldn't that be reasonable? God, I mean, God, couldn't you give us some miraculous help instead of just like judging us and condemning us? That's what Jesus 
already did on the cross, everybody. You needed miraculous help. And while you were still a sinner, and while I was still a sinner, and while I am still a sinner, Christ died for me. And he wiped away the sins of the damned. We just need accept it and embrace it and believe in him and walk in that freedom. And I'll say to you, some of you, 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 need, to, you need to go beyond the doctrine of eternal security. Eternal security, like once saved, always saved. And some of you are actually living in eternal insecurity. You're living eternally insecure that this God who saved you, that he's not strong enough to keep you. And I want you to know, he's a miraculous help. He's an ever-present help in the time of trouble. Jesus not only taught on hell, Jesus did not ignore hell. Jesus took on hell for you, for me, and for your children and your children's children. And hundreds of years before Jesus would go to the cross, Isaiah would say it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The good news is everything we would want God to make right, he has. And that right is not just a right, it's a way, and it's truth, and it's life, and it's not a philosophy. It's way more than a doctrine. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And someone who needed to know the goodness and the kindness and the redemption of a good, loving Jesus, one of his own disciples, Peter, who denied Christ, yet Jesus restored him. Peter wrote it like this, the Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That word repentance is a very biblical word, but it just simply means change your mind and change your direction. Wages of sin is death. <laughs> but there's a gift. You just have to receive it. And it's Jesus. All across our locations, would you bow your heads? I believe in this moment, this service right now is pregnant with life change. God wants to birth in you a new heart, a new life. Though your sin be like scarlet, he will wash you white as snow. And if that's you today, Jesus 
is ready to meet you where you are. If that's you this morning, you say, Jesus, I need you. If your word is true and my heart is saying to me it is, I need to turn to you. So Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, the son of God who lived a perfect life, who died a death in my place, who rose again in power, that same power that gives me the ability to even come to you right now and ask you, would you wash my sin away? fresh start today would you let me know that you really are serious that you love me and that no matter what I've done because there's some stuff I've done that feels pretty dirty and pretty dark and pretty etched like a tattoo into the soul of my heart but if you're really true and that your kindness is real take it all away Jesus wash me clean Help me to follow you. Thank you for not being mad at me, but giving me this moment to make things right with you. And as we're still praying and every eye closed and every head bowed, Jesus, this means if hell is real and judgment is real, it means that there are people that I love, people that I know that are headed to a path of punishment. So God, help me to have one foot on grace and one foot on truth and to not use that as a billy club, but use that as, a, as, a, as something that would break my heart for my friends, my associates and neighbors to be patient with them, to be kind to them, to show them the love of Jesus because your love truly is what leads people. It is your kindness that leads people to repentance. So break our hearts for what breaks yours. Break our hearts for those that if nothing changes, their soul for eternity will just disintegrate because you love them so much you're willing to let their will be done and leave them alone thank you for this moment God to sober us up to give us clear eyes not so we will damn people to hell but that we will be the kind of people that launch out into the deep and throw the net for a great catch. And just like Peter was called not to catch fish, Jesus, you will call us in Timber Creek Church to catch people and show them your everlasting love. We ask all these things in the wonderful, mighty, perfect, loving name of Jesus, the strong Son of God. Everybody said amen.